Hello, I'm Harry Glorikian. Welcome to The Harry Glorikian Show, the interview podcast that explores how technology is changing everything we know about healthcare. Artificial intelligence, big data, predictive analytics. In fields like these, breakthroughs are happening much faster than most people realize. If you want to be proactive about your own healthcare and the healthcare of your loved ones, you'll need to learn some of these new tips and techniques of how medicine is changing and how you can take advantage of all the new options. Explaining this approaching world is the mission of the new book, The Future You. It's also our theme here on the show, where we bring you the conversations with innovators, caregivers, and patient advocates who are transforming the healthcare system and working to push it in positive directions. Healthcare is one of those areas where more data is almost always better. And I talk a lot on the show about how data is helping doctors and patients make smarter decisions. But a lot of the data we'd like to have is still stuck in those arcane electronic health record systems, or EHRs, that medical practices or hospital systems use to track their patients. These systems tend to be closed, proprietary, user-unfriendly, and incompatible with one another. And I haven't been shy here on the show about my opinion that the chaotic state of EHR technology is holding back innovation across the healthcare market. That's why I'm always interested in talking with companies that are working to make EHR data more useful. And today, I have a pair of guests from a company called Verona Health that's trying to do just that. The company recently brought in $150 million in new venture capital funding to help scale up its data services, which currently focus on the subspecialties of ophthalmology, neurology, and urology. Verona takes data on patients in these fields, cleans it up, analyzes it, and pulls out insights that could be useful both for clinicians who want to increase the quality of the care they're providing and for pharmaceutical companies who need new ways to measure the effectiveness of their drugs and better ways to find patients for clinical trials. Here to explain more about all of that are Verana CEO, Sujay Jadav, as well as its Senior Vice President of Clinical and Scientific Solutions, Shurjal Baxi. If you're a longtime listener, you might remember that we had Shurjal on the show once before, back in 2018, when she talked about her previous company, Flatiron Health. We're glad to welcome her back. Now, on to the show. Sujay, welcome to the show, and Shurja, welcome back to the show, uh, now that you're at a different place. Um, it's great to have you both here. Thanks, Harry. Happy to be Thanks here. To be, yeah, happy to be here as well. Thanks. So I, I want, you know, I, I want to ask you guys, like, if one or both of you can describe Verana's, you know, reason for existing at, at least a high level and, and what the unmet need in, in the world of patient care or drug development are you meeting? Yeah, yeah, happy to jump in and and Trujillo, um, you can sort of add in sort of the the healthcare sort of goals that we have um, as well. But you know, in essence, um, in what Verana is all about, we have an exclusive real world data network um, focused on three therapeutic areas: uh, ophthalmology, neurology, and urology. Um, and in essence, what we are doing is we're helping provide insights uh, to providers. 
in helping improve quality of care, helping improve their participation in clinical trials, um, and also provide insights uh, to life sciences companies across the overall drug life cycle, um, all the way from study design, helping out in trial recruitment, um, to helping them out in launching drugs, um, commercializing drugs, uh, so they can overall improve the, the quality of care um, you know, in a more holistic fashion. Um, you know, the, the crux of how we're going about doing it, uh, in essence, is accessing HR data and eventually de-identifying it uh, to provide these particular insights. Um, and, you know, high level, you know, there's, there's data which is very, very structured and there's data which is unstructured. Um, and there's a sort of an increased focus on the unstructured data uh, because I would say that's probably where there is the largest opportunity out there to provide insights across that overall uh, value chain. Yeah, no, I, I, I know this, the, the area well, but I want to sort of spend a moment on the origin story of, of Verana Health. And I'm assuming it has something to do with the relationship between Verana and the American Academy of Ophthalmology, since I think it's... Um, uh, the Academy's uh, CEO, David Park, is also a co-founder and executive chairman on Ferrana. You also have partnerships with the American Academy of Neurology and the American Neurological Society. So it seems like these, and it's funny because I think of these associations as publishing journals or, you know, organizing conferences or maybe, you know, having representation in Washington, but it seems like you guys were a, a spinoff or piece that came out of at least the American Academy of Ophthalmology. I don't. If is that correct? You're, you're absolutely correct. Um, I mean, really, Verana was founded on you know sort of the the ophthalmology registry um, in essence, and you know the ophthalmology registry uh, probably one of the leading registries um, in in terms of the way that uh, well, first of all, participation. Um, you know, from from the specialists, uh, I think it's close to seventy percent of ophthalmologists are part of the registry. Um, but they're one of the leaders in terms of um, taking the actual data from the ophthalmologists, um, and they were actually processing that particular data via third party out there to uh, help provide insights. Um, you know, to predominantly the ophthalmologists out there. Um, but eventually to provide um, insights to help further research. Um, and so Verana was really founded on sort of the ophthalmology registry. Um, they decided to spin out that capability um, as an independent company, um, then bring in some external um, investors, um, sort of investors which are very committed to digital health. Um, you know, Brooke Byers uh, from Kleiner Perkins, um, Google Ventures, um, and they funded the, uh, the separate entity. Um, and then ultimately the goal was to take that data capability that they have um, and then help uh, normalize it and provide more insights around it to further the overall drug life cycle. Um, and then, you know, along the way, um, you know, other uh, societies saw the progress that we're making um, and decided to also, you know, partner with, uh, with Verana, starting with um, the Neurology uh, Society and then Neurology um, as well. 
Now, you know, just so like for the listeners, if I, and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like, and because I like to give credit where credit is due, right, is a lot of these, you know, medical associations began to gather a lot more data and build some giant databases. But I think that was driven by the, you know, CMS or, you know, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services sort of setting up this uh, merit-based incentive payment system and and sort of driving this. So it, it's sort of like... I always like to give government credit when they actually do something right, but they actually put some money behind this to encourage this sort of activity, which has resulted in this sort of um, data set that's now available for us to really glean some insights for for patients. I mean, I think I think when we when we look back, sort of the development of the electronic health record is what set this off, and that was also a, a government initiative, right? To really move us all from paper charts into electronic health records. And then sort of the potential that comes from that. If, if we think about the the brilliance of these registries, they were smart enough to start collecting the data early on and, you know, sort of answering your your first two questions from a a medical perspective, like what is Verana here to do? we're, We're here to help transform that data that's available in the electronic health record, sort of generated as part of regular care and get all of the insights we can in healthcare, the way that data is generating insights in every other industry out there. Um, But there is a particular sensitivity in healthcare, de-identification, making sure we're taking care and and responsibility of that process, which makes sort of what Rana is doing a little bit different than what might be happening out there. But when you you think about why there's so much excitement around what we're doing, it's that we're actually going to do it from a technological standpoint. So the scale at which we're hoping to do it should drive insights like we haven't been able to do with sort of the the first pass at getting value from the EHR, if that makes sense. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, if if you've listened to many of my shows, I have a big pet peeve with uh, the normal EHR system. I mean, I've gone so far to say, you know, if anything breaks healthcare because of its inability to to you know change is this arcane you know our counting system that got morphed into you know quote we're going to manage patients um but you know you mentioned from a uh, you know physician's perspective is what what kind of data do these databases that you have access to contain that's important or valuable for you know assessing quality of care let's say it really, it spans the gambit, right? Because data is just that. It's, it's what we do is we provide, we transform it into a structured format that can be analyzed. But what you use it for is really, it's limitless, right? Do we want to look at how to optimize how patients are seen? Who sees those patients? How do we get them into a clinical trial? How do we get cl- trials set up at a, a practicing site that happens to be seeing a lot of patients of a particular disease subtype? Um, are we starting to pick up patterns in how new medications are released into routine care that have been tried in clinical trials? Can we pick up safety signals um, in the real world that you can never capture when you only have a small clinical trial of 200 patients? But when you launch that drug at a larger cohort, what, what is actually happening in the real world? All of that is possible once you figure out how to transform all the information that's entered into the EHR into analyzable formats. And so, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because Sujay gave all the real use cases, but in my mind, what we're doing is the technology, which is how are we going to do this in a sort of scalable way? So as the data is coming in, 
we can take it and output structured data that can then be used for analyses. And the better we get at that transformation step, the faster and the more reliable that is, that really sort of unlocks what we can do with the data. Yeah, it's funny. You're covering like, I don't know, half a dozen podcasts I think I've did with various companies that are doing different parts of this. But I mean, I've I've looked at the company's literature and you put a lot of emphasis on what's called real world data. Um, and this is a topic, you know, I've covered on the show uh, many times. You know, last year, I uh, late last year, I did an interview with Jeff Elton from Concert AI, you know, where they collect post-approval data and help improve decision-making inside drug companies. So I want to ask you first, what, what do the folks at Verana have in mind when they talk about real-world data? Does it basically mean any delay data collected outside of the context of a clinical trial or? Yeah, I mean, you know, sort of, I know the real world data terminology has um, different types of descriptions, but fundamentally, you know, we look at it, generally any observational data is sort of what we categorize as real world data and what we are focused on from a high level um, perspective. What we see within the EHR, you know, there's, there's a lot of that data available there. In essence, what we are doing is accessing it, extracting it, normalizing it, um, and then providing you know different levels of insights depending on the different types of use cases, which are important to prove, improve you know quality of care at the provider level there, and also help uh, further research in the, within the life sciences um, arena as well. So you know that, that's high level the way we look at it. You know, one of the things, you know, um, in order to finish up sort of or complete the, the overall patient journey and have a holistic perspective is we need to, you know, also uh, match that up with other types of data there. And claims data, for example, at times has better longitudinal elements to it as well. So, you know, we spend a lot of effort and work there doing matching there. Um, you know, um, as well, um, you know, we're bringing in, you know, other types of data forms and imaging data, um, and, you know, as well. So, you know, while we are very focused on the HR data there, we are actively, you know, complementing it with other types of data sources to get a, a more holistic picture there. But, you know, I, I would say that a lot of companies out there um, have been doing a really good job of, you know, accessing this data from a more structured uh, format perspective, right? And um, one of the things that I've seen, and this is more of a high-level comment, is when you look at some of the structured data, there can be an element of um, sort of extra latency in terms of getting that information uh, to make certain decisions. So decisions such as, hey, for a particular clinical trial, what are the right patients that you should target, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, what we are, you know, really focused on is the unstructured data, you know, the, the physician notes, and, and then leveraging sort of AI techniques there to provide those signals so that allows us to, in a close to real-time basis, target, you know, particular patients, which could be a better fit for a particular trial versus historical uh, means, which have been a little bit more sort of delayed in terms of getting those data inputs. So, you know, this begs the, the question before we jump into the product itself is, do you guys have like an opinion on why the medical establishment has not been so great at tracking or analyzing real world data up till now? I mean, has it been, I, I doubt it's lack of interest. It's probably more like technical limitations is my guess, or maybe lack of interoperability or 
all of the above? I mean, since I was last year, Harry, last time I was here, you know, a lot has happened in the real world data space to start with. And I think we talked about this last time, which is real world data has been here forever, right? Um, Clinicians yeah. have been doing chart reviews and publishing case series. That's all real world data. It's taking a look at what happens in the routine care of patients, pulling it out and analyzing it in order to deliver insights. I think what the electronic health record did or what we believed it would do is allow us to do that type of work at a scale that we couldn't do it before. The second thing I think that real world data is now considered potentially useful for that it wasn't previously is causation and the analytic ability to actually make um, linkage between input and output in a way that isn't just hypothesis generating. And, you know, the regulators are really sort of driving the space with the guidances that are coming out and really framing for companies like ours, how we should be thinking about data and the data quality and, um, sort of where this data could be used. So there's sort of two parts, right? One is how do we generate it in real time at scale so that we can understand important questions? And then the other is the part that I think Sujay really like sort of leaned in on, which is the entirety of a patient's journey. And this is a very patient centric problem. It isn't captured in a single EHR. So how do we bring together all the different components of a patient's journey such that we get the complete picture, the genetics, the imaging, the multiple different providers, the claims for what was paid for, right? And so it's kind of an exciting time in the sense that we've sort of gotten to second base, maybe. We figured out how to get all the data. Now we're figuring out how to transform the data. Now we're gonna figure out how to link the data. In the meantime, in parallel, we're figuring out how to analyze observational data. And yeah. a company like Verona is sort of really well poised to do those things because of all the different components and the partners that we have to, to do that, I think yeah. at least. Yeah, and, and, and I'll just add to what Trujillo said there. Um, and, and I think it's sort of inherent in sort of your question around the technology was, has the technology been there um, before, et cetera? I think to a certain extent it has, uh, but it has been evolving. Um, and, and obviously in the last decade with sort of AI techniques, uh, natural language processing techniques, they've started to mature and come at scale. Um, but one of the key things um, around our industry is patient privacy, right? And so we have the technology and it's been you know, leveraged in a lot of other different industries. Uh, but the stakes are very, very high here because of protecting, you know, patient data overall. And so, you know, working through how can you um, access this data at scale um, and, and ensure and make sure that, uh, you know, you're adhering to the patient privacy there um, has taken a little bit longer to do. But now we have it currently right now. We have a lot of techniques on the de-identified uh, realm where, you know, we can now leverage that uh, to address that particular point. And, and I think, you know, it's an exciting time right now, you know, which is, you know, we now have the tools to do this at scale, but, you know, ensure that, uh, you know, we're keeping patient privacy um, intact as well. But we also have a responsibility on the end of that spectrum, which is we have to have high quality data. 
So yeah. we need to protect the patient's privacy. We need to be very responsible with the data, but we also have to be very responsible with how the data is generated such that we don't end up with conclusions that are harmful. Like the integrity of the data throughout mm -hmm. that process needs to be maintained because people are going to action on the output of our analyses using the data that we're generating. And so that's an incredible responsibility that I think we take on um, and, and sort of critical to how we think about what we do. It's not just data, it's data that's generated to make decisions in healthcare that impacts patients very directly. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, I think this is a maybe a good segue or opportunity. Like, you know, what have you guys actually built because we've been talking around it is like what is I, I think it's called the VeraQ health data engine if I got it right and tell me a little bit about the product and uh, you mentioned natural language processing and machine learning and so how does that fit how, at what point and where does it fit and um, I, I'm sure there's a few people who are gonna like you know listen closely at this part because they're interested in this stuff um, some others may not listen as closely, but you, if you could tell me a little bit about the product, that would be great for for everybody listening. Sure, sure, absolutely. So, you know, you know, in essence, um, you know, what we have is we we do have a real world data network um, where we um, access uh, twenty thousand providers. We have ninety million uh, data identified um, patients currently, um, and and it's growing um, at a good clip currently right now. What we do is we, we take that data, um, we ingest the data, we normalize it and curate it um, to provide insights to you know, providers to improve quality and, and participate in trials. And then also to um, the life sciences uh, community as well um, to help you know, further research, uh, broadly speaking there. You know, sort of our technology platform is called VeraQ. We released it last year. Um, in essence, is sort of the secret source around ingesting it um, and normalizing, curating the data. Um, and then once we do that, uh, then what we do is we deliver it in what we call de-identified data modules called Q data modules, which um, you know, are aligned according to the therapeutic areas in certain disease states. Um, and so what we do is, you know, within each of the three therapeutic areas, we release on a quarterly basis, different disease modules, Q data modules there. And then, then that helps serve up, um, you know, um, a lot of uh, insights that uh, life sciences companies can use um, across different areas. So anything from a helping out in trial design, we've worked with a lot of large pharma companies around helping improve sort of how they target particular, um, you know, uh, patients out there um, by leveraging these de-identified Q data modules to um, helping out on recruitment um, as well in terms of, you know, working through what are the right providers they should target which have that patient population to fit the trial to eventually seeing when you actually launch the drug um, you know, how the use is occurring out there in the marketplace, how they can better target it to improve the value of the particular drug they have there as well. We eventually serve that up in sort of application modules across that overall drug life cycle. Um, so, you know, to summarize, you know, our platform is VeraQ. We then uh, serve it up in these two data modules and then we deliver it in these solution sets, uh, which are provider facing. Um, and, and also life sciences facing. 
I, I was going to say something that's really unique about Verona and, and shouldn't be glossed over is the fact that so many different EHRs are out there and they're ju- they're created differently and they are, you know, subspecialized to the provider with bells and whistles that each different practice pays for. And, in, in, and to take all of that disparate information and ingest it and harmonize it such that the output are, you know, variables that can be generated, you know, generated at a scalable fashion across millions of charts and then use that for analysis. I mean, Sujay made it sound really good and, and clean, but that's actually a, that's a lot of work for anyone who's ever touched an EHR and tried to get value out of the data that's entered. Um, it's, it's a feat. Um, and, and I think that, that, that engine now that it's built is sort of poised to take in and give out, right. That was the infrastructure build that was 2021. Um, and 2022 is the the data that's going to come out as, as he was describing, but I, I just want to, you know, I, and I'm particularly passionate about this because I work now at a couple, you know, different companies that think about this and, that particular part of harmonization from the starting point that are so many different places is really, I think, um, a technological advancement. Let's pause the conversation for a minute to talk about one small but important thing you can do to help keep the podcast going. And that's leave a rating and review for the show on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open Apple Podcast app on your smartphone, search for The Harry Glorickian Show, and scroll down to the ratings and review section. Tap the stars to rate the show, and then tap the link that says write a review to leave your comments. It'll only take 30 seconds, but you'll be doing a lot to help other listeners discover the show. And one more thing. If you like the interviews we do here on the show, I know you'll like my new book, The Future You, How Artificial Intelligence Can Help You Get Healthier, Stress Less, and Live Longer. It's a friendly and accessible tour of all the ways today's information technologies are helping us diagnose disease faster, treat them more precisely, and create personalized diet and exercise programs to prevent them in the first place. The book is now available in print and ebook formats. Just go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble and search for The Future You by Harry Glorickian. And now, back to the show. You know, we talk about major, you know, EHR systems sold to hospitals, you know, on this show a lot and the interoperability and it's just, oh my God, it's, it's a, I can't, it's a mess, right? And I hear it from patients too, right? I had someone call me the other day and they were like, I don't want to say they were chewing my ear off, but they were unhappy and they were like, just said, and it was a friend of mine who had gone into a hospital and he goes, I'm sure you know all this. I'm like, yes, I know all this, but Hearing it from somebody uh, is interesting. It sounds like, I mean, you guys are harmonizing, or correct me if I'm wrong, like at least from what I heard, ophthalmology, neurology, and and uh, urology. And so, you know, get, if you were able to give that back to the physician, I think that would be hugely of value as a physician, assuming that it's, simple for them to interact with and you know they don't need a degree in computer science if if you know what i mean yeah yeah that, that, that's exactly you know what we are also focused on i mean you know sort of part of 
sort of the way we are approaching, you know, this, this opportunity is, you know, sort of twofold. Number one, you know, working with the providers, helping improve that they can provide care. Um, and, you know, we're very committed to that. Um, and the way we're committed to that is, you know, you brought up sort of MIPS quality reporting, which is important for CMS, um, you know, submissions. Um, um, and, you know, we actually have a particular solution that is provider-facing, which um, allows them to, you know, work through, you know, sort of their quality scores, understand how they're doing overall in terms of the overall quality of care from a, from a high-level perspective. Um, you know, in addition to that, uh, we're also allowing them to access sort of their patients, um, you know, data to help improve how they can participate in clinical trials. And, you know, we understand that, you know, their bandwidth is very, very constrained. They need to focus on, on, on care. And, you know, you know, folks like myself and Trudel, you know, we've, we've been doing this for, you know, a couple of decades as well and spend a lot of time. You know, you know, working, you know, with uh, with physicians out there, and and so we we understand that you know making this user friendly, allowing them to come in and out as quickly as possible to get the insight they do is extremely important, and that's sort of a key part of you know what we are focused on as a company, um, and you know we're committed to helping improve you know quality of care by taking on sort of this mixed reporting obligation as as part of sort of our overall business model as well. Um, but, you know, through that particular process, um, you know, we obviously have access to the data. Uh, we then, you know, de-identify it. Um, and then we can provide the next generation of insights to, you know, the life sciences industry, um, which, you know, is very, very compelling across the board. And, you know, it's very, very interesting that, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, 20 years plus, um, and I still feel we're just barely scratching the surface in how we leverage this particular data. Um, and so, you know, th there's definitely a lot of work that we are doing leveraging natural language processing techniques um, to allow us to do this at particular scale. Um, and that's sort of core for us helping to deliver on this sort of next level of, uh, of opportunity that we see to help improve care across the overall value chain. So do one of you or both of you have your favorite case study that highlights the different strengths of the system that you can sort of, you know, put it into context for someone? Sujay, do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, abso absolutely. So, you know, um, you know, from my, my perspective, um, you know, where we're providing a lot of insights, as I mentioned, you know, across sort of the overall drug life cycle, the, the area which got me the most excited, you know, around Verana is really on the trial side of the house, um, in essence. And so, you know, we uh, we do a lot of work around helping out in trial design, right? But, uh, you know, the areas that we're starting to see sort of the biggest next level value uh, that we're providing is really on the recruitment side of the house. And, you know, as you know, recruitment has been a big pain point in the industry at large. Um, I think a lot of companies are out there uh, which are helping, you know, work through and target the right sites, help target the right, you know, PIs, providers, um, you know, which, uh, you know, have the actual patients there. But that final mile of helping out do the actual recruitment is something which is very difficult to do. Um, you know, the biggest influencer in recruitment is, is the physician. Um, and, you know, via sort of the solutions that we're providing um, around our quality reporting side as well, how we 
feel at least you know we have some bandwidth there with the physician and we want to leverage that to improve recruitment so you know um we've we've done a number of projects in the recruitment side um particularly in the rare disease area is an area that uh, we've done a lot of work there because historically the way it is you know the, the process has been which is hey you know these are the particular you know, um, you know, physicians out there which have participated in historical trials, et cetera, let's just target them as well. And it's more around historically which providers have participated in trials, but what we're doing is that we're doing it from a data level up there. And so, you know, what we did with a, a large pharma company out there in a particular uh, rare disease um, area there is we actually identified um, a number of patients with actual providers which have never participated in trials before. And so we yielded um, um, a set of patients, uh, which probably they never would have gotten via the normal mechanisms out there. Um, you know, and I would say the, the types of improvements we're seeing, starting to see in the trial side is north of 30% um, sort of um, efficiency improvements in, in the trial process overall. And if you extrapolate that to, you know, how much they spend in clinical trials, you know, that's tens of millions of dollars. Of, uh, of of cost savings that you can take out of chain. So, you know, that, that's probably the area where, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of value that we've provided with this particular data. I'm not sure, Joel, you have any other examples? Um, mine is not nearly as grandiose, but it's really <laughs> sort of brings home why data is important. So recently we ran an analysis with the American Neurologic Association just as a sort of look at how the data can show us what's happening. And it's going to come out in their spring, you know, newsletter that they send to all their members. And we partnered with one of their academic collaborators. And we just asked a question about uptake of routine bone density scans for patients with prostate cancer, who are going to go on to uh, hormonal therapy for about six months to a year. And, you know, that has been a that's been a quality measure that they've been tracking um, as an organization because it's a it's a place for improvement for urology overall. And we were just curious, sort of in our data, what does that look like? Right. And so perfect use, create data, analyze data. What we found is that the, the uptake of this particular recommendation over time has steadily increased. But lo and behold, COVID hit. People didn't stop getting prostate cancer but they did stop doing screening for bone density. And we know that if you don't look for bone density, you're not going to treat low bone density. And therefore these patients are going to be at risk for, for fractures, which are, right. you know, in a certain population, just devastating. And so the, I, I sort of am stealing the thunder of the snapshot. So please forgive me AUA, but the takeaway here is that there is something we can now do. Let's go back to those patients that we diagnosed in 2020 and let's make sure that all those patients get bone density scans. And if we can prevent even one fracture, then this data has served its purpose directly to the patients, right? Yeah. And so that's just a glimpse of what we can do with the data. And there's so many opportunities like that to directly impact patient outcomes if we can just figure out what questions to ask and then how to disseminate that information. So yeah, not quite as big and grandiose, but really tactical and, and, yeah. and tangible, I think. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I, you know, once you have the data, I, my brain goes in, you know, eight, eight, 10 different directions of what can I do with it, which is why I like investing in the space because it's, you know, if you've really got access to the right quality data and you can actually interrogate it, 
you're not just a one trick pony, right? There's, there's different opera. And one of the things that I was thinking of is with all the data you've got, you know, couldn't you create like really optimized digital twins that might be able to also be used in a trial? I mean, that's one of the first things that popped into my head. Um, but Shurja, last time we talked, you were head of clinical science at Flatiron. And I think if I got it correctly, your title now is Senior Vice President of Clinical and Scientific Solutions. So what does that mean? Um, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think the fact that clinical and science are in both the titles sort of tells you that in many ways, my my role at a company like Flatiron or my role at a company like Verona is not all that different, right? It's to make sure that we are bringing through the perspective of the clinician who is fundamentally at the heart of the documentation that's happening and that we're translating that when we partner with our technology colleagues to translate how that data is going to be transformed so that we don't lose the meaning of the information as a scientist or a, an outcomes researcher, I was a consumer. I would interrogate databases that were generated like this. And so I can put my outcomes or my health services research hat on, my clinician hat on, what questions do I need answered? And what does the data need to look like? So I sort of sit in many ways at the start and at the finish and help partner along the way with our cross-functional colleagues who do really the bulk of the work. Like I, I think it's such a the strength of these companies is how collaborative they are. The challenge of these companies is how many people have to work together and communicate and say the right words and the same words to mean the same things. And um, so the title sounds a little different, but in, in many ways, I feel like my role is, is to preserve the voice of the provider and therefore indirectly the patient in, in everything that we're doing. The, the other piece that I think I've the, the title seems bigger at, at Rana, but what it's actually, I think, expanded my, my scope into is to understand where engineering and, and data science and that AI ML component of the transformation can really take us. I think technology enabled abstraction is one thing, but I think actually applying technology to extract the data is a whole nother level of complexity and scale. But once built, it's sort of a receptor just waiting for new data sources to come through because you can take 10 EHRs, 12 EHRs, 100 EHRs. If you've built the pipeline and you've built that MLAI to put on top of it, the output should come sort of instantaneously. And so <laughs> Um, I, I say that with, with a wink almost to Sujay, because I know it's a lot harder than that. I've, I've learned, um, but, but ultimately that's what, what Verana is building towards. And so the scope of my work and how I think has changed just slightly. Well, it, it sounds like a critical piece of the puzzle to make sure that everything is translated correctly and everything is understood correctly, et cetera. So it's, uh, I think it's a valuable position. They, they might need to clone you though. Cause I feel like, uh, there's a lot going on there. Uh, I feel like there's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, there, there definitely is. I mean, you know, um, and we have we have sort of a network of um, you know medical professionals that we leverage, um, you know, across all three therapeutic areas, um, you know, and that's really you know part of sort of our, our overall process, right? But you know, I think Shrew described it very, very clearly, but. 
know, ultimately, you know, what we're what we're trying to get out of sort of Shrujil and the group is sort of how and how to, you know, medically inform the overall process that we're doing right now and make it relevant and practical to truly provide insights to the clinician, right? At the end of the day there. And so, you know, there's there's a pragmatic element to sort of her and the involvement in the overall process because technology can only take you so far. Um, but, you know, to get that sort of final pragmatic um, element to that particular uh, therapeutic area, you know, requires a medical professional. Yeah. And the, I think, you know, one of the most challenging things is how to present it. And like you said, I mean, real time is a, that's a whole other, you know, dynamic to tackle that people don't understand. Um, but you guys just had some fantastic news. Uh, I, you know, a, I believe recently a, a series E venture round brought in, I think it was a 150 million, if I remember the number correctly from J and J innovation, as well as existing investors like Google ventures. I mean, first of all, congratulations. That's, that's a pretty good sized round. Um, you know, can you fill us in on like, Okay, somebody just handed you a hundred and fifty million dollar check. What are you gonna do? Yeah, no, it's a it's a good question. Firstly, the hundred and fifty million dollar raise um, is a significant raise and you know, we're very fortunate that it's uh, come from comes from a diversified set of digital health investors, broadly speaking, combination of growth investors, um, innovation funds uh from uh, life sciences companies, um, as well as academia um, as well. And so I think it's it's a good cross-section mix that we have. Um, fundamentally, um, a number of um, investors which are very committed to digital health overall um, and will allow us to sort of accelerate uh, the business as we take it to sort of the next level. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, I, I think it's sort of recognition of where Verana is. We've, I think, done a really good job of building out our data technology platform. Um, you know, we are now commercializing the business very, very well. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, what we're going to do with the capital, in essence, it's, it's fuel for growth. Um, you know, we've anchored on a really good business model currently right now. Um, and, you know, what we are going to leverage the money for is to help execute on our existing sustainable product strategy, you know, which is coupled by premium services um, on a solid data foundation. And there's sort of sort of three areas uh, that, that we, we're going to focus on. The first one is on the provider side of the house there. We already have an existing set of solutions in the, you know, the, the quality area, in the clinical trial area. And, you know, we're going to further those particular solutions, take them to the next level to make it easier for um, physicians and providers um, to, uh, to do their job. Um, the, the second area uh, that we're, um, you know, going to be investing in even more is on the life sciences uh, solution side there as well. And so, you know, both we have a set of trial solutions there. Um, we have what we call data as a service uh, uh, solution set. Uh, which allows these life sciences companies to access the curated uh, data um, in a very easy fashion. So it allows them to provide, you know, different levels of insights uh, that they feel are important, um, you know, as well. And then, you know, the third area is just furthering sort of um, expanding sort of the, the data that we have currently right now. Um, I think we've got a really good critical mass right now with 90 million de-identified patients, 
um, you know, 20,000 plus providers there. We're going to continue to increase that um, across our three therapeutic areas. Um, but, you know, bring it, you know, move into other types of data sources. Uh, I think imaging is one, um, you know, we're going to invest in a big way. I think that can really, truly, you know, help complete the picture. Um, genetic information also is something that we're inserting in um, into the mix as well. And, you know, bringing in, you know, HR data, bringing in, you know, claims data, bringing in imaging, genetic data, you know, is, um, is a complex, um, you know, equation, so to speak there. To, and, to say know, the least. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and sort of doing that in a thoughtful way, doing it in a way which is scalable, um, takes a lot of effort. Um, and that's where, you know, we're, we're going to be investing a lot of these funds to make that happen. And, you know, we're well on the way to actually doing this. And so, you know, a, a lot of the money is in essence just executing on the current strategy. Well, you know, it's been great having you both here. Um, love talking about this stuff, as you can tell. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, 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 I wish you guys incredible luck because, you know, I keep getting older and I think I'm going to become, you know, at some point you become more of a patient. So the more that this advances, the better my health and wellness will become. Um, and uh, I look forward to, you know, maybe having you guys in the future and seeing the evolution of where this goes. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Harry. Enjoy talking. <laughs> Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. You can find a full transcript of this episode, as well as the full archive of episodes of The Harry Glorikian Show and Moneyball Medicine at our website. Go to glorikian.com and click on the tab Podcasts. I'd also like to thank our listeners for boosting The Harry Glorikian Show into the top 3% of global podcasts. If you want to be sure to get every new episode of the show automatically, be sure to open Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player and hit follow or subscribe. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we always love to hear from listeners on Twitter, where you can find me at hglorikian. Thanks for listening, stay healthy, and be sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next interview.